Hello, everyone, and welcome to Failed Architecture Breeze Blocks, where our editors share their thoughts on works in progress, urgent matters, and current happenings in architecture and spatial politics. My name is Kristen Hu. I'm an editor at Failed Architecture's New York City team, and I'm here with Lija Hanrahan, a writer and independent researcher in New York City. Today, we're here to talk about a sound, perhaps one of the only sounds that is now heard in the city streets during the current pandemic sirens. As FAA has previously touched upon in podcast number nine, sounds can impact how we experience the city. And in this particular case, with sirens in the new epicenter of the COVID-19 outbreak, we'll be discussing how these sounds might reveal something more. Lija, can you tell us about sirens and what they're telling us now and how people have been reacting to them in New York City? Uh, sure. Thanks so much, Kristen. So everybody's been talking and writing about how, you know, these are there are these constant ambulance sirens in New York um, as the hospitals are filling up with COVID patients um, and they make people very anxious. Right. They're this kind of inescapable reminder that people are sick and dying. Um, which is, which is absolutely true and absolutely valid, and they freak me out too. And so it kind of enforces the shelter-in-place order almost on its own. This sort of sustained fear is enough by itself to keep people inside, um, except for, you know, obviously hospital workers and uh, other essential workers who are made to assert this kind of, like, spatial dissonance um, if they do want to survive. Um, so... You know, obviously, who who has to go outside and face down sirens and be exposed is also super racialized um, in New York and elsewhere. Uh, it's disproportionately people of color who are having to work and getting sick and dying. Um, and so one thing that's been brought up in some things that I've read is that uh, ostensibly sirens are sort of meant to alert the public to an emergency so that people on the street get out of the way. Um, and it's been argued that now, when everybody already knows about the emergency and nobody is in the way, um, sirens then must be totally redundant. Um, but that's not, and that would be true if this kind of informative gesture was actually what sirens were for, you know. Um, but I, I, I don't think they are, right? Like, uh, and the fact that they're still going and the people are reacting reacting to them in this way does reveal, kind of intentionally or otherwise, uh, their more underlying purpose, which is and has always been social control, right? Um, this is true throughout history and across the world. Um, and and in addition, this the reaction to sirens that we have, this anxiety, does seem to affect people differently um, according to different social factors, right? Um, particularly class, uh, race, location, profession, etc. Um, so it's also interesting to see the geographic distribution of things that people are saying, like, oh, you know, all the other sounds are gone. I miss the sounds of the city so much. I can't believe I miss construction out my window at 7 a.m. It's so quiet, except for the sirens. Uh, at the same time as actually um, 311 noise complaints are up 23% from this time last year. So there was a, there was a New York Post article uh, that was published on April 1st, uh, which reads, quote, New York sounds like London during the Blitz, says Ash Bennington, who also lives on the Upper East Side. Uh, and it's it's ironic that uh, the next historical point of reference is somehow London 80 years ago. And it's also ironic that Michael Kimmelman in The Times felt similarly somehow when he lamented the closing of businesses and insisted that during the Blitz, even the National Gallery stayed open in London. 
I'm not. I'm not sure how people are imagining that nothing has sounded like this since the Third Reich, uh, and that's not. That's not an effort to reduce this to like a hierarchy of sound privilege. That's pretty. That's like pretty two dimensional and boring. But I do think we need to be thinking about this as a sort of structural phenomenon, right? It's a historical force. It's not a one off, and it's not particularly um, a state of exception as such. And, you know, to your point about class, right? I mean, the that comment is coming from someone who lives in the Upper East Side, and it's no mystery to anyone in New York that that area is a very wealthy neighborhood. Totally. Um, I was actually reading something just today about how police presence in poor Black neighborhoods hasn't really decreased, right? Like, the crime rate in the city has gone way down since the pandemic started and since the shelter in place order happened and blah, blah, blah. But actually the NYPD are still this like constant problem. Um, and their patterns of harassment in poor neighborhoods haven't really abated. Right. So that kind of presence, um, while it might be alien on the Upper East Side, is like it's still it's still going. Right. So it's like there are a lot of articles being published about people reacting to like all of a sudden sirens are, are everywhere now. Neighborhoods where police presence is normally very high, it seems like probably business as usual in terms of the amount of sirens and noises coming. Totally. And I think it's, you know, I don't I don't want to argue that there is absolutely no no difference. Like, I think. I'm, I know that technically they do sound a little bit different. Um, I'm never actually able to parse them out myself, but I know that theoretically they're not identical sounds. But regardless, I do think that the sort of more general social effect of a police siren when it's like known to be a police siren is different from the social effect of an ambulance siren when it's known to be an ambulance siren. And right now all sirens in most of the city are presumed to be ambulance sirens, right? Because I think that uh, police sirens themselves mark danger, right? They signal danger um, in that they signal the presence of cops. Or if you choose to interpret law enforcement a different way, they signal the presence of crime or whatever. Um, whereas ambulance sirens signal a response to danger sort of on paper, right? So it's not it's not a total one-to-one. Uh, but I do think that the, the sort of baseline effect is the same. So to go back to your point um, about sirens and social control, were sirens always used for social control or trying to understand like a little bit more about the background of sirens? You know, what kind, what groups of people did they affect and what's really their history? Sure. Um, you know, I am I am not a siren historian, uh, but we have we do have this quote that we kind of both pulled um, from Sonic Warfare by Steve Goodman. So uh, sound is often understood as generally having a privileged role in the production and modulation of fear, activating instinctive responses, triggering an evolutionary functional nervousness. Take the siren, for example, invented by August Seebach in the 19th century. Quote, the siren broadcasts distress. It is a centrifugal sound designed to scatter people in its path, unquote, by pulsing waves of non-linguistic command to disperse a population. A siren obviously signifies alarm, but more interestingly here, its very modulation of frequency provides a state of alert that can undermine and override cognition. Sirens are also uh, used by the FBI for torture, has been documented by Amy Goodman and plenty of other people. All of this is 
is theoretical and it's also just kind of uh, an empirical set of data, right? Like um, we can look at air raid sirens during wartime sieges such as the Blitz, but the same thing is in play again anytime that there is heavy police presence in a poor neighborhood, which, you know, it, it either alerts you to the presence of crime if that's what you're worried about or to the presence of cops if that's what you're worried about. But it's also something that is used everywhere to enforce curfews, both in terms of coronavirus and just in general, like there was a place in Louisiana where cops were using a recording of the siren from the movie The Purge to tell people that the curfew was starting and they kind of got called out on it and they were like, oh, we didn't know. We thought it was just a military siren or something. And if you listen to recordings in Santiago de Chile during the military curfew last year, air raid sirens in Jordan regarding coronavirus now, I mean, all over the place, even even LRADs are used here in the States and elsewhere, often by cops to try to disperse protesters, although I've never seen them actually work. So it, it is a historical constant, right? Um, and it's interesting that specifically this passage uh, brings up frequency because there was uh, legislation before the New York City Council last year saying that uh, New York City sirens are too annoying. And so we should make them more like European sirens by changing their frequency, by lowering their frequency, not their decibel level, but only their frequency, uh, so that they are less annoying, like our you know, sophisticated counterparts over the pond. I don't think it ever happened. So it seems like regardless of how different people have reacted to sirens, um, and even the frequency or pitch of sirens, that sirens still signal an urgent call from institutions and in control to those being controlled. We all feel more anxious around sirens, but there's a difference in how people react or are required to react in flux, according to a variety of factors that the built environment sets up. Yeah, um, and you know, that's true. And um, if we didn't react that way, then sirens wouldn't be working and those institutions would uh would have to find something else. So I do think that the sort of crux of this is that uh, sirens do, you know, make people anxious and they're supposed to make people anxious, right? That's how they work. It is that impact precisely that makes sirens function as well as they do. But how people have to react to that anxiety, right? Whether we are staying in our homes because the sirens remind us of sickness and we're afraid or we are going out to work delivery jobs in spite of the fact that sirens remind us of sickness and we are afraid. Like these things are very different between, you know, geographically between class lines, etc. And also whether or not we are used to sirens, whether or not the presence of a siren at all or a certain frequency of sirens uh, strikes us as being like exceptional or surprising or scary. And I do want to point out that the pervasiveness of ambulance sirens specifically in this context, um, I think, is different. And it does problematize the sort of general motive, maybe, but not really the result. Like, just that the sound of an ambulance in and of itself is technically, it's telling you that maybe that something good is happening, right? Someone is getting medical attention when they need it. So maybe it's a kind of like, 
it's still a social control. Maybe it's a kind of softer or more benevolent social control because the aim is supposed to be public health. But there's there's a murkiness to that, right? Because ambulance sirens, as we talked about before, they don't quite signal danger the way that police sirens do, but rather a response to it. But when when I'm saying benevol- like benevolence is kind of in quotes, right? Because obviously public health outcomes here can't be separated from governmental and economic concerns. You know, if you are Governor Andrew Cuomo, you do want people to be alive and healthy, but not necessarily because you care about those people or their lives or their health, but because sick people and dead people don't work, right? They don't produce value for the state. So the idea of public health is, it is like sort of the ostensible motive here. And I think that that does change the tenor of the situation a little bit, but actually within capitalism, the idea of public health as like a priority is a really perverted kind of Mm. superficial thing. Yeah. I mean, uh, going back to your point about how people actually react differently or have to react differently to sirens also kind of reflects that unevenness and that kind of that unevenness in experiencing the sirens also reflects the equally uneven social and spatial conditions in the city, right? And that, like, even though sirens are meant for social control and are always anxiety-inducing, the degrees of anxiety and the actions that people take in response to them varies dramatically, and that can be reflected in how the city is made up and how uh, we experience our day to day and who we are as people, as well as like our class and relative to, to one another. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's absolutely right. You know, we inhabit soundscapes very differently. It is not sort of one universal experience because we all happen to be in New York or within earshot of New York or something. And I think that coronavirus is sort of making people making people sort of either double down on really archaic notions of community and of things that we share and of collectivity and of, you know, whatever, or it's making people really sort of think twice about what had maybe previously been assumed about things that we share and things that we don't. And so thinking, thinking about this constant source of anxiety, which is all around all of us at the same time, but actually has differing impacts on our lives in these ways, maybe enhances our understanding of, like you said, the sort of social and spatial unevenness of what it is to be in a place like New York. Mm -hmm. 